have just so wanted to get to this after show combo. Um, We're going to discuss a lot of great stuff in this, but there are two main areas. I want to look at uh, Ann Burr's murder. And I also want to briefly touch on the murder of Karen Campbell in Colorado because uh, it was just like poof. She disappeared. I mean, it is insane. And I found out how he did it, but I still have a question. Yes. I saw the, I saw the crime crime scene video. Yeah. The first murder you think he did before. Yes. So this is the murder of little Anne Marie Burr. Now I'm not going to get into a lot of details because there aren't a lot of details as far as how she died or anything, but we'll get into the mystery of it. So I, I think Elena, you'll be okay. Um, so early on the morning of August 31st, 1961, Beverly Burr woke up to check on her four kids and she found Anne Marie Burr's bed empty. Now at the time, Anne was eight. And her room showed no sign of a struggle. And I'm going to show you a picture of her room. Uh, Beverly went door to door and then around the neighborhood looking for her daughter, but no one had seen her. And so um, this right here, let me see if I can get it bigger for you guys. Uh, Oops, I got to share the screen first. Good grief. Okay. So this right here is her room. So that, that's their house. The nice little house. It is. It was, and then there's her little room right there. A lot of lace. Right. It's cute. And so they lived in a pretty good part of town. And um, so police are called in to investigate. And they do a search. And I've got a picture of the newspaper article, I believe. Yeah. Oh, wait. No, that's Bundy on the. Oh, darn. I must not have it. Um. Yeah, I don't have it, but they they instantly um, did a a search for uh, Anne, and the police found that the living room window had been opened, a garden bench had been pulled up to outside the window, and then there was a shoe print on the bench about the size of a teenager's, but I'm not sure how would you know the size of a teenager, but, you know, like, you can have really big feet as a teenager or very small feet, so I'm not sure what that's about. Some men have small feet. But the, the Burr home was very close to the University of Puget Sound campus. And at the time, there were several, several buildings that were under construction. And Ann's father, Don, and his brother, they searched the neighborhood, and they saw a bunch of ditches at the university and from the construction. And so they told the police, you've got to go and look in the ditches. Uh, and on top of that, They had also seen a teenager standing over by the ditches, just kind of, you know, kicking in some dirt with his feet. And, you know, teenagers do that. So, again, you know, I doubt the killer is going to be at the ditches kicking dirt in it, you know, if they put the body there. You know, but anyway, the police didn't. They waited a few days. And when they went back or when they went there to look, it was already paved over. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's so frustrating. Again, I love law enforcement, but people, you know. So the case is still open to this day. And as of November 2019, police sent several items of evidence to the lab because they're trying to get this solved. But here's where it gets most intriguing. So Ted Bundy, and I'm going to show you a map. 
he grew up in Tacoma where little Ann lived a couple miles from Ann's house. Bundy was 14 when Ann disappeared and he had a paper route and visited his uncle who lived a lot there or lived uh, close by there. And he was always at his uncle's house. So let me, um, let me bring that up for you guys so you can see. So this is a map. And um, you can see here, this is Bundy's residence over on the left, North Skyline, Skyline Drive, where he lived at the time. Now, he also lived over here on the right. This is the first place he lived um, with his uncle, and he loved his uncle. His uncle was very wealthy. Um, he wanted to be like his uncle. And the the gray square right here is the University of Puget Sound where all that stuff was happening. And then the fraternities where all the ditches were is right on North Union Avenue. Look where little Ann lived, literally around the corner from Ted's uncle where Ted first lived. Why did he live with his uncle? I'm not sure. I know he wanted to continue to live with his uncle, but for some reason he didn't get to and he had to move uh, over to North Skyline. And then North Puget Sound Avenue is where his uncle ended up moving to, which is where I think he lived when Anne disappeared. So he initially lived close to the Burrs, and then his uncle moved a little bit further away, and then probably, what, half a mile maybe? And then he ended up living a couple miles from Anne at the time of the murder. I'm sure he saw Anne. So then it gets more interesting. So we see that, you know, initially he's around the corner. Then he lives a little up the street. Uh, but he was in the neighborhood a lot. His uncle's name is Jack Cowell. And he was a mentor to him. But he was also the neighborhood piano teacher. And he was independently wealthy. Like he, he dreamed of being Jack's child. That's how much he wanted to be. And growing up on the fancy side of town. Well, Anne was one of Mr. Cowell's piano students. Oh. Mm-hmm. So he would have seen her a lot. Do you have a picture of her? I do. Curious if she has long brunette hair. She's so a he cute. probably had her marked. She was Yeah, I wonder if she has long hair. Here she is. Oh, she has brown hair, but it's not long. And she but was, was a teenager, though. She, um, again, I think was seven when she disappeared or eight. Uh, I think it was eight. But she uh, was very trusting of people, and she had a, a great outgoing personality. You could tell she's a cutie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's that was her. Now, Rebecca Morris, a true crime author who wrote, and I'm going to read this book. It's called Ted and Anne, The Mystery of a Missing Child and Her Neighbor, Ted Bundy, stated that Bundy wasn't the Burr's paper boy, but he was the paper boy in that neighborhood. And a couple people said that Anne sometimes helped him get his newspapers. So this is 1961. The term serial killer hadn't even been invented. You know, the first phrase was used in a news broadcast in the 1980s. So this was like the leave it to beaver era. You know, everybody's going to trust the paper boy. Yep. There were some signs, though. So there's some reports that his teenage years were troubling. 
Um, some who knew Ted talked about him tearing animals apart and setting them on fire, which is a typical serial killer or budding serial killer behavior. Right. One person, a lady named Sandy Holt, she grew up with both Bundy and Burr, and she said, horrible. There's no other way to explain him. To do that to somebody else, to take their pet and harm it in such a grotesque way and painful way is unconscionable. So he also was known as a peeping Tom when he was young. Again, typical serial behavior. That's what they do. Sandy said that he would touch women's garments when they were hanging out to dry. You know, back in the day, everybody hung their garments out, you know, to dry. Um, He would touch them when he walked by. And she also claimed that Bundy had attacked her in the neighborhood by grabbing her shirt on her shoulder. And he said, come on, little sister, I want to show you something. She refused and he insisted and he, he grabbed her by the shoulder really hard but her brother saw it and he ran over and he jumped on Ted's back, knocked him to the ground and beat the crap out of him. And uh, there's a, um, a picture of him when he was in high school. Let me see if I got it. Oh, and I also found out who the um, mysterious lady was in that photo of doing dishes. So this is him in high school. Looks like a normal teenage boy. Yes, he does look attractive, too. So nothing. There's nothing in his, you know, I don't know what we expect to see in serial killers, but there's nothing in his picture that would indicate how troubled he was. Okay. So. Set him off. What started? We're going to get into that. Oh. Now, Sandy's memories of Ted alone aren't enough to convict him of Ann's murder, obviously. Um, but he was well on his way to being a killer if he didn't do it. But here's where it gets even more interesting. So before his execution in 1989, Bundy started talking to like reporters and researchers about his crimes. And I guarantee you, he did not do it out of the kindness of his heart. He was trying to become so invaluable that the death penalty would be commuted to life. And then also he wanted to be moved to Oregon, which we know he would have escaped again. That was always his plan. He was always talking about escaping. But in 1986, Ted told a hypothetical story of his first crime of murdering a child. He said that he had taken a child out of her house and then he took her to the orchard next door molested her and left her in a ditch. So it would have been nice if the cops would have freaking looked through the ditches, you know, and if I'm not mistaken, there was an orchard close by. So it's just frustrating. Um, But again, we're in leave it to beaver era. You know, they're probably thinking maybe she, no, they knew something bad had happened because the, the footprint and the, it just, it, I, uh, I get so frustrated at that point. Yeah, so, if you're looking for a child, wouldn't you look everywhere around there? I mean, to me, it's like, it's code red when a child goes missing, you know, and it, anyway, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, if, if I was the dad and the brother, I would have gone over there and started digging through the ditches. Yeah, I was wondering why they weren't able to. I don't know. Now, they even yeah. stop, maybe. Why haven't they 
done anything now. Well, they are. They sent evidence to the lab uh, last November. So hopefully. Well, I mean, it, where the cement was, you know, like dig it up or use those radars. Oh, that's a really good idea. Yeah, I don't the know. Go over the surface. Police, you know? Yeah, that you can see through. Yeah. Some police investigations are like, did they even go to the academy? Yeah. Well, these guys, they really want to solve this. You could tell. They, they want to, you know, find out who did this. So now Bundy was not on the Tacoma Police Department's radar for Anne's disappearance until he said that. You know, because the first murder is always the most special, and they're not going to talk about it. That's their memory. And um, But once he said that, they're like, hmm, he might have done it. Now, let me um, read you the letter that she wrote to him. Who's she? Who? The mother. Um, oh. Oh. Mrs. Burr. Okay, so here it is. Dated May 30th, 1986. So obviously she heard about him saying his mur- first murder was a girl. Dear Ted, on August 31st, 1961, just before school was to start for you and our children, there came a black rainy night with lots of heavy winds. You were 15 and had been wandering the streets late at night and peeping in windows and taking cars. I feel, and she puts it in all caps, your first murder was our Marie Anne Marie Burr. The bench from the backyard was used to climb into the living room. The orchard next door was a dark setting for a murder. What did you do with the tiny body? God can forgive you. With all appeals likely to be refused, and soon there's nothing left for you in this world. There can still be everything good for you in the next. Your life started going wrong when you were very young. There had to be a lot of bad things to make you have your strong feelings of hatred. I came close to ruining my life because of my cruel actions and feeling no sorrow about them. A lot of strange circumstances brought help to me. I would not have found myself, even though I needed help and my actions were getting out of control. You should have received that same help when you needed it, which I think is interesting because me and you talked about, you know, those times where we were thinking evil, um, uh, Elena, and we made choices not to, you know, go down that road. And she's describing her own experience in that. Then she said, God can still give the help to you if you can gather together any strength you have left and try to feel real sorrow inside for the horrors you have brought to so many. You will face those horrors alone if there is no chance to be with God after you die. You have nothing more to lose in this world. By explaining your sickness, you will have sorrow and gain everything in the next life as God promised you and all of us. Please try. There isn't much time. I'm deeply sorry you did not get help when you first needed it. I have not written until now because the end of life for you did not seem near until now. Will you write to me regarding Anne Marie? And then she signed it Beverly Burr. And then she put underneath the murder of Anne Marie Burr. Now his response, and I want you to notice his handwriting. Tell me if anything stands out to you. So this is his, and it's a little hard to read. um, But does anything stand out? Very feminine and like strategically placed. Look, oh, at, look at that. All yeah. That. yeah, check marks. They're uh, not, well, they're perfect lines. Oh, yeah. I thought they're, they were little check marks. Somebody wants to say they are perfect lines. They're just of his sentences. And to me, 
It's a dominant power control thing. It's like he is making his mark. I mean, it's, it feels aggressive. I've never seen marks like that on anybody's writing. It's very interesting. It's and, all throughout, too. Yeah, and you can see how they're pointing it out, too. <laughs> like, that's just weird. And so he, he responded to her in November. She wrote her letter in May and said, um, oh, this is Kathy, dear Kathy. Uh, let me see if I have the actual... Okay, so this is to Beverly. I don't have all of it, but again, he has the same weird marks. So this was June. He says, Dear Beverly, thank you for your letter of May 30th. I can certainly understand you doing everything you can to find your daughter. Unfortunately, you have been misled by what can only be called rumors about me. The best thing I can do for you is... uh, Correct. Correct these rumors, these falsehoods. First and foremost, I do not know what happened to your daughter, Anne-Marie. I have nothing to do with her disappearance. You said she disappeared August 31st, 1961. At the time, I was a normal 14-year-old boy. I did not wander the streets late at night. I did not, and that's all I've got, which we know he did. We know he did. There's um, police reports. So, um, you know, he denies it, which is annoying and typical. But I, typical. Yeah. That, that first kill is extremely special. So what was the date of his letters whenever he was in the, um, the process though? Because I know he wasn't cooperating. Was that towards the end of his life? This was 1986 and he got, uh, executed 1989. So it was close to 1989, 19, well, between those years that he started talking about it more and more. Um, wait till y'all hear the sound bites for the podcast. <laughs> so, um, you know, his killing was a possession of his victims. He talked about it. He possessed them. They became his. And so later when people were trying to get him to tell, you know, like, okay, what all did you do? Who all did you murder? He wanted something in return because those were his memories. Yeah. Wow. So he didn't want to give away his memories for murder and he relived them and he liked it and he liked killing. So no trace of Anne has been found. It's one of the most puzzling unsolved cases in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Beverly, unfortunately died in 2008 at the age of 80, never knowing what happened to her little girl. Listen to her describe this event. She said, She often second-guessed herself, most of all, her decision to keep Anne home that night. Anne had been invited to spend the night at a friend's house, but school was starting soon, and Bev wanted the children to begin to wind down from the summer. During the night, Anne brought Mary upstairs to her parents' room. Mary was just three and crying because the cast on her arm itched. Bev spoke to them and sent them back to their rooms. Bev woke up about 5 a.m. feeling uneasy. She went to check on the girls and found Anne's bed empty, the living room door unlocked and standing open, a window in the living room raised, and a step stool outside under the window. Bev feels that she did not prepare the children for evil in the world. Anne was so trusting, Bev said. It was a big mistake. We taught her everyone was good. We didn't teach them that people could be bad, and I still think 
it was probably someone she knew. Oh, so she was him. She said, um, the Tacoma police department are asking for any information regarding her disappearance. But even before this, so I personally, I think he killed her. I do too. And besides, he didn't really talk about his murder to anyone. So who's going to have information? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe and the then, uncle, but I'm sure the uncle was dead by then. And she, she only wrote to him because she heard of his hypothetical first murder. You know, so. Why was he even given a hypothetical first murder? Because he was getting ready to die and he was trying to keep from dying. And he, like he was helping them. Yeah. The FBI and criminal profilers were talking to him at the time, uh, trying to get information on like the green river killer and, you know, just different serial killers. Like he was the first known and they were trying to get inside the head of these people and catch them. And so he was helping them with that. Plus, you know, he was trying to get transferred to Oregon and he's like, I'll give up my memories, but I need to have something in return. And they just weren't willing to do that. So it was just one of those interviews and yeah. Huh. But something was wrong with little Teddy way before his troubled teenage years. His aunt woke up from a nap on her bed one day and some say she woke up cause she had a creepy feeling. And when she woke up, Teddy, the toddler was standing there staring at her and she looked around her and noticed that he had placed knives with all the blades facing toward her all the way around her sleeping body. How old was he? Uh, two to three. Oh, my. Why was he living with the aunt and uncle? I don't know, but I just think it's a little weird. You know? Yeah. And one um, researcher said, or psychiatrist said, there had to, he had to see or be exposed to extreme abuse to even think about getting knives and putting them around someone. They don't know anything about the parents? A little bit. Now, I've got some pictures of him when he was little. They say that his grandfather was very abusive. Um, So this is him as a uh, Boy Scout. He just looks like a normal little boy. And then this is him... With that's his grandfather right there, and that's him. And they um, said that his grandfather was addicted to porn and had violent fits of rage, and so he probably saw that. But they also think that he got into his grandfather's porn. But he just looks like a normal little boy. I mean, it's. Let me see if I've got any more. It's just it's sad. Well, three years old. That's not normal. Right. And so, like I said, they're thinking that maybe, um, yeah, I think that's it, that maybe he, you know, had already been exposed to some type of abuse. Bundy killed an estimated 30 women and girls, and his youngest victims were 12, 15, and 16, with Kimberly Leach being the last. But there was one victim that's weird, too, and this is Lynette Culver, and At the age of 12, she disappeared May of 1975 from Alameda Junior High School on her way home during lunch. Now, Bundy confessed to killing her. And remember during the podcast, I couldn't find the name of that little girl. This is her. And uh, he said that 
Um, I, and I didn't connect Lynette to the little girl that he said he drowned in the bathtub and then he discarded of her at Snake River. Um, and for some reason, she's often overlooked in the story. Her body has never been found. She's still considered a missing person to this day. And uh, let me pull up a picture of her. But he admitted to it. Yes. Oh. So this is her. Hold on. My internet may be acting funny. Go ahead. Oh. Pretty. How old is she? 12. So she was walking home from school. And um, her sister said, unlike a lot of families who whose children have fallen prey to things, horrific events like this, our family doesn't have a body, and we were never able to put Lynette to rest. And his, his murder of her seems a little bit weird, not his usual M.O. And some question if he really did it. But he only had, he had details that only the killer would know. So they're, they're pretty sure that he did it. But the final one that's weird is Karen Campbell. And this, it's the most mysterious to me. And it's the final one with this part two. Um, she literally vanished into thin air. And like on the websites, when they list her as a victim, they hardly say anything. Like one, uh, I've got it here. It says age 23 died January 12th, 1975. Campbell was heading to her hotel room in Aspen when she disappeared. Her body was found beaten to death and left nude near a dirt road. So who is her, uh, Karen? So let me, let me pull up a picture of her. This is her right here. That's his. There's the brown hair. Mm-hmm. And um, I've got some other, I got a website we'll get to in a second. But uh, so she was a Michigan nurse on vacation with her fiance at the Wildwood Inn in Snowmass Village. She went to her room to get a magazine to read in the lobby with her fiance and friends. A witness saw her get off the elevator on the hotel's second floor. She was never seen alive again. Her belongings and the magazine were later found in her room. So that tells me that she was either in her room already or he watched her and then followed her in and then took her. But his typical MO was to knock the victim unconscious. So, you know, that's probably what happened. So this is her hotel room, uh, not from back then, but today. So, you know, just a typical, typical room. But let me pull up. I found this website that has pictures of it. Uh, Let's see. I think it's right here. Oh, darn. Nope. Okay. Maybe it's on this one. I hope that I did save it. I'm going to have to edit out this quietness. Does his mother or grandmother, do they have pictures? Do they have long brown hair? I don't think his mother did. I don't know if I've ever seen a picture of his mother or his grandmother. Oh, darn it. 
I have a thing where um, when I try to go to different places, it blocks my abilities. Okay, so I'm probably going to need to um, do a quick search on it. But, oh, here it is. Okay. So this is like several several areas where he went. But let me get to the Wildwood Inn. This is this right here is one of the walkways where um, Bundy took Susan Rancourt. So they have like a, some different places that he went to. Okay. So. And this one was when he was on the run. Yeah, he, he escaped. Second time, right? I think it was the first, the first time. The second was Florida. Wasn't oh, it? yeah, second was Florida, right. Well, he escaped twice from um, Colorado. Okay, so this is the, right here, this picture is the Wildwood Inn in Snowmass, uh, Colorado, here, uh, or today, and this is the bar and lounge where she was with her fiance. And then this is the pool. And at the time of year, there would have been steam coming off the pool. So you wouldn't have seen him when he was hunting. And then this right here, so you can see it's outside. Notice that? Instead of an inside, you've got the stairs out to the pool and stuff. So she would have crossed this area of the pool to get to this elevator and she took it and then she greeted a couple who were attending a medical conference when she was uh, on the elevator. Uh, Bundy was uh, shielding himself uh, from a service closet that is behind the person that took this picture. So he would have had to move quickly uh, as Karen went to her room. So I think he followed her in. And then this right here is the outdoor storeway at the Wildwood Inn that leads to the parking area away from the pool that he might have used when he took her. And uh, so here's what it seems happened. Now, first of all, her body was found on February 17th along Owl Creek Road under the snow, and she was disfigured by animals. She had blows to the back of her head. Her hands had been bound behind her, and it looked like she was thrown from the car like garbage. Oh, my. Um, interestingly, investigators found no evidence that she was sexually assaulted, which is weird. Normally, he killed them or he was having sex with them as he was killing them, and then later he'd go back and have sex with a corpse. Bundy was never tried on her murder and a couple of others in Colorado because he escaped jail there twice. And then he ended up in Tallahassee and then he got the electric chair. He denied killing her in 1977. And one cellmate said he was a hell of a nice guy. He finally confessed to killing her in January of 1989. He said that he went to the Wildwood Inn on crutches, hoping to lure a young woman to help him carry his ski boots to the car. He posted himself near the hotel's pool, but everyone ignored him except Karen. She offered to help, and once he got her to the parking lot, he hit her over the head and stuffed her in the VW. But I'm curious, how did her stuff get back in her room? I wonder if she said, let me go pick this up real quick and I'll help you. Maybe. Yeah, I couldn't figure it out. That, that's... She was actually going to get the magazine. 
So she, she might not have gone there yet. Well, her stuff was in the room. So she had some stuff. Oh, oh, so you're saying that she never made it to her room. Well, we know she got upstairs because they saw her on the elevator and she talked to that couple. But what if he was fumbling and having a rough time? Like maybe he posted himself up there with the crutches and she offered to help him. Maybe Maybe. I could see that because that that was kind of a mystery. Now, Mm -hmm. to finish this one. Um, Kevin Sullivan, a minister who's written several books on Bundy, stated that he also believes that Bundy killed before 1974. But he said in 1974, Bundy decided that he was a murderer. That's who he was. And he was going to embrace that role. He then devoted his life to hunting and killing, and he liked it. He had no guilt at all. Everything that he did was for his benefit in his pleasure, even if it meant killing beautiful young women and little girls. Mm. And some say he was on his way. He was on his way to being governor. That was his dream. He was going to be governor. He would have been a good lawyer. According to the judge. Our judge, yeah. It's crazy. So, I mean, what do y'all think? Do you think he killed that little girl? I do. Because it's a coincidence, he's so close to her at his uncle's. And there was there was one other little girl that they thought he did, but DNA actually exonerated him. Um, but I, I do too. His his uncle's a piano teacher. He saw her a lot. She helped him do the newspapers. He was already a peeping tom, you know, killing and animals. Huh? And saying a hypothetical. Now Granted, okay, so he did live there. Um, he heard the story, obviously. He knew the area. So I could see him thinking, okay, if I were to do that one, here's what I would do. So True. maybe. Maybe. See? His mother has brown hair, but it isn't long. It's shoulder length. Yeah, his uh, first true love had the long hair and something that was a trigger, but we'll get to that in a second. So we've got one more. This one's going to be short. Older, older. 